That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Aaron, here we are, and uh, we are coming to the end of the liturgical year. Um, and uh, we uh, land here on this wonderful and glorious day known in our circles as Bible Sunday. But before we get into that, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. We're in that little that little breather, that brief pause between Halloween, before Advent, otherwise known as stewardship season. So if, uh, if any of you are in churches that are in that uh, time, make sure you pledge so your vestry doesn't have to give you a call. Uh, keep, keep your keep your preacher uh, able to focus on the ministry and not the money. So that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, but yeah, we're excited. We're we're we got a lot of good things. We had our first potluck at St Albans since the pandemic. So since like I don't know early 2020, and uh, it was amazing. And I was telling you uh, as we were chatting before the show, as we are wont to do, that we had like 80 people there, but. The vast majority were new people, uh, like people that are like new since like since kind of since the pandemic. So it's kind of it's an amazing this whole shift that's taking place around the world and in churches and all that. So anyways, I don't know if that's what you wanted to know, but that's what's going on. And uh, I really I really do feel more enriched by it. Well, and that's really when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think about is how to enrich Jake's life. And I'm just glad to know I've succeeded. A lot of days I just have to hope that it worked. But anyways. You know, I no, but I, I think what you're experiencing uh, is, is not unique in a lot of churches. I think we are, we're all experiencing a huge thrust in newcomers. And uh, you're just speaking as a pastor, frankly, a little bit of the frustration of folks that aren't coming back. Mm-hmm. And uh, not because they moved, but because, you know, they've uh, uh, gotten used to not coming. And, um, uh, you know, and that and at as a pastor, just as a personal confession, that um, is really frustrating. And so, because, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is something about church that cannot be experienced in a Zoom call. Um, I understand Zoom was necessary or live stream is necessary, and, and for, for all of us it is the future. But, I mean, really, uh, the good news is delivered um, most effectively in flesh and blood. And so, um, we are human beings made in God's image and we need to be together in this regard. So, yeah. um, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. And if and, you're, so um, listeners, if you're someone, uh, who has gotten out of the habit of going to church, you are loved, you are forgiven. And just know that some of the other listeners of this podcast are preachers who would love to see your face again. And that would be a, uh, that would be a great offer of grace and mercy to your preacher. Uh, for you to that's right to come back and uh, show up so, and say I love you. You know, give him a high five. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so but we enough are with in these Bible pleasantries. Sunday. Well, yeah, enough. Bible Sunday. Let's get on it. 
our, our little self-therapy That's session. Right. Um, so, Preachers so are people really too. Saying is, well, yeah, love us, <laughs> lo- affirm me, affirm me. Oh, you know, and so we're so whiny. But anyway, today is Bible. Bible get a little cheese with that one. I know. But anyway, uh, t- today is a Bible Sunday also, and uh, it's it's most uh, known as having one of the best colics of the year Sunday. Um, and it goes essentially like this, Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, Cramner right here, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast. And that's going to be a key concept in the book of Hebrews that we're going to study today. Hold fast, uh, not to ourselves, but to the blessed hope of everlasting life, uh, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's an important teaching and uh, reminder, especially coming on the backside of Reformation Sunday, when the Reformers talked about sola scriptura, what they did not mean is the basic instructions before leaving earth. Uh, what they uh, meant Which, by, by the way, the for folks, if you didn't grow up in the non-denom world and you don't know what Jake just said, that's the acronym for Bible that some churches yeah. used to teach what the point of the scriptures are, like basically get into heaven right. ticket. Yeah, or, you know, like, or somehow it's like, you know, um, every every word is like equal weight. You know, that's not what the Reformers meant by Sola Scriptura. What they meant was is that this, the Bible is the place where uh, you uh, uh, will find clearly articulated. It is the manger where Christ is laid. Mm. And so this is where we go to find and hear our salvation um, specifically. Because while a sunset may give you a warm fuzzy, uh, we need to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures, because there is where our Savior is found. That's right. And uh, there we hear what the gospel is all about, and that's really what our readings are all articulating this week, Well, as they do every week. And I'll say, like, be thankful that you get to hear this call like this Sunday, if you are in an Episcopal church, because some years, because of when, if, if Easter comes late, then Pentecost comes late. You, yep. you don't actually mm-hmm. get this far in the readings after Pentecost, and so it's a it's a blessed year when you get to hear this Bible collect. And if you ever want to know what is a really good doctrine of inspiration of Scripture, it is all contained right here in this little Cranmerian collect. Amen. And that, that it's it doesn't say, "Blessed Lord, who dictated word for word every note and tittle of the Bible <laughs> to um, Moses with a typewriter." No, it, 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 you know, didn't fall out of the sky because God caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. So it's got it's just a really thoughtful, insightful, right on, uh, beautiful Orthodox prayer about how we understand scripture. So, all right, that ends our second like not lectionary related preacher rant. I feel, even though we're recording this before people are listening, I can already feel their frustration, Jake. That we're not mm-hmm. yet talking. Well, let's, we're not yet telling them how to preach because it's now Saturday at 10 p.m. and they're preaching right. Sunday morning. Let's so let's in get it. in it. All right, we let's got get in it. we got First Samuel uh, chapter one, chapter one, four through twenty, and then we get to Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through fourteen, and then Mark's gospel thirteen. Well, actually, Hebrews chapter 10, eleven to fourteen, then parentheses fifteen to verse eighteen, and then verses nineteen to twenty-five, and then we have the gospel reading from Mark. Chapter 13, as we still are working our way, working our way back to you, girl, working our way back through the gospel of Mark. So let's start with this reading in 1 Samuel. This is time of the judges. This is like mm-hmm. Samson and 
uh, Deborah and all. It's kind of that time. It's it's right. before. There's no king in Israel. The the people of Israel. Well, I mean, and that's. Go ahead. That's that's a key lens. That's a key lens to uh, begin to understand what's going on as you dive into the Book of Samuel, and especially this particular text. Yeah. And what's going on here? You know, uh, uh, Israel came out of the desert with a covenant with God and how they were to live, and you know, um, and God uh, desired brought them out there out of Egypt, as my friend Nathan Rose uh, told me last night. We were talking about the Book of Exodus because he wants to dwell with his people. And, uh, you know, and he gives them a covenant to dwell with his people. And then you see just what a mess it actually becomes, mm. how the people, um, you know, they really don't want God that all that close. And so they set up Asherah poles and all of these things. And the place is a total, total mess. Um, the end of the book of Judges, in those days, Israel had no king. And each person did, saw, did as they saw fit in their own eyes. Uh, this is what is going on here. This is a very dark period, and uh, this is the lens by which uh, we begin to read First Samuel chapter one. Yeah, it's people that are—they're uh, in the land that was promised to them, but it's everything isn't going super great, and they themselves are part of the problem, and the situation is the problem, and they—they they are um, uh, in kind of a difficult period, and. Hannah, this this First Samuel, First and Second Samuel are books that are essentially about King David and the monarchy of Israel. But there's a whole bunch of kind of preliminary stuff. It's written. It's called Samuel because Samuel's the prophet that anoints David. And right now, what you're learning in this first little bit here is where did Samuel come from? It's like the this is mm. the prequel to the whole thing. And so, what we learn is that um, there's a woman in Hannah who is unable to have children, her husband... Boy, that's a regular theme. Yeah, that's so this, yeah, <laughs> this is ringing bells with Sarah or with, obviously, um, you know, Mary wasn't barren, but certainly a miraculous pregnancy is given to her. And But Elizabeth, St. Elizabeth, her cousin, was uh, unable mm-hmm. to have children. And so here's this guy, Elkanah, who every year goes to offer sacrifices. And because Israel is very, like, this is startup days for Israel. They're, they haven't really raised any venture capital very early in the whole thing. They haven't even decided where their headquarters is going to be permanently in Jerusalem. So right now the temple's in Shiloh, and it's not even a temple, it's a tent still. And so Elkanah goes with Hannah every year to sacrifice. And he has two wives, because Hannah, the one he really likes, wasn't able to have children, so he gets wife number two, Peninnah. And when they're having these feasts, uh, he gives extra to Hannah. In Hebrew, it's what we read double portion in English is two noses, meaning two heads of the lamb, which one head would be a mm. delicacy. So he, she gives two heads. I have been given a head of a lamb or sheep in Kazakhstan at a festive meal. I was grateful to be honored, but it was not the best meal of my life. So, but for really? but for her, it was a big deal. I've heard that I've heard the most the, the most tender parts of a lamb are on its face, like the cheek, you know. That might be anyway. true. I had to taste, I think it was either the brain or the eye that I had to eat. Well, but what he's doing is, is he's, he's, he's giving her a sign of love. That's really what this is. Yes. A little bit of encouragement. Yeah. And, uh, but, it, you know, uh, it it's, doesn't really work. Because um, you don't, if you can't have kids and you really want kids, you don't want an extra fur coat for Christmas. What you really want is a kid. And so... After this big Thanksgiving feast at Shiloh, Hannah makes her way to the temple, and Eli is there, and hears her praying, and she's praying with great anguish. She's just at the end of her rope, uh, because what else you learn in this passage is, if you read kind of the surrounding context, 
Penina, the sister wife, gives her crap all the time, like makes fun of her for not having kids and just um, she's called her adversary or her rival. Mm -hmm. So it's a really jacked up family situation. And Hannah just feels alone, isolated. She would have had like zero social standing as a woman in that society as being childless. Um, You know, she would just be on the edge of every social gathering, just window dressing total wallflower. And so she goes and she prays and Eli the priest sees her praying so fervently that he thinks she's drunk. And so he describes her like Jake often is on New Year's Eve, a drunken spectacle. And uh, she says, she says, no, I'm just praying really, really hard. A lot hard. of truth and humor. No, it's, uh, but, uh, um, anyways, that's not true, everybody. Drink in moderation. So uh, yeah, the, the other thing to point out is like the, this temple situation this tabernacle. Well, Eli's a terrible pastor. He's the for worst. The, for the record, he's a he's a terrible pastor. I mean, he's pastor. not. He's his not kids the are worst. running amok of everything. Yeah, his kids. He's but he's put his he's, sons in the business. Right up there. He's put his sons in the business, and they are taking the Corrupt. best portions of the sacrifices for them for themselves. It's like putting their hand in the offering plate and taking pocketing the cash um, every time. And they're sleeping with the women who are the like. Um, kind of janitorial staff of the tabernacle complex and so and everybody knows about it it's just brazen awful corruption and immorality and all that so anybody that thinks organized religion is problematic it's been that way for a long time because anything with human beings involved in it is going to be that way so uh as was the band fleetwood mac totally corrupt those guys so any human organization is going to be uh, terrible I think, but I think what I think one of the things, the very powerful thing is, that, you know, she's pouring out her soul, and Eli has a pastoral moment where he says, you know, the, the Lord grant you your petition. And, uh, but this is, you know, it's really interesting, like God working and the way he works. And you'll see this next week as well. But I mean, uh, through this woman, um, uh, we see, you know, in the least likely places, uh, God is about to bring about through uh, her son. Uh, eventually, if you will, the salvation of Israel mm-hmm. work to bring them back on the, a track, and um, and yeah, and this uh, there's parallels, you know, with Mary, and um, and uh, once again, maybe not a barren woman, but uh, a place anybody, the least place anybody would expect, uh, God is going to bring about um, the salvation of the world, and so um, so I think that that is really when you're preaching, what you want to draw home is really the connection here. Mm. Um, uh, the world is dark, the world is corrupt and bleak, um, and that affects you, but it's in those areas that God is at work to bring about your salvation. Yeah, and I think there's a word here, too, about where where prayer comes from. Prayer comes from pain, mm. and yes, there are many people that tell you to pray more, or you should pray more, and people feel like don't they don't pray enough, and I always feel like that like misses the point. It's um, because... If you want to pray and you feel like it's something you're doing for God, you've kind of missed missed what it's for. It is for you to have a place to be able to speak without fear of judgment or rejection what is actually going on in your heart. And this is where Hannah's prayer comes from, a place of pain um, and, and honesty. And your congregation is full of people who are in really deep pain. That's true in normal times. It's even more true now with just the trauma and disruption that's come from the past um, two years. So I think uh, encouraging people that they can be honest, uh, 
And I think Jake and I could both speak to the fact that almost every small group or prayer meeting we've ever been in, when people pray or do prayer requests, they always want to pray for, you know, so-and-so's uh, aunt, uh, Sally, or whatever. But this kind of prayer where it gets to the honest, nitty-gritty of your life, this is where the rubber meets the road. And this is what we see in Hannah, and, and God can handle it. So uh, I think those are some avenues for preaching this uh, story. Um yeah. Oh, yeah. and by the way, one little historical note, if people in your congregation hear the word Nazarite and they're thinking Nazareth, they have nothing to do with each other. A Nazarite is somebody who is yeah. devoted to the Lord and they were not out able to drink wine or anything from the grapes, so no raisin bran for them, and they never grew their they never cut their hair. It was just a sign of being totally devoted to God. That was the symbol symbolic imagery of all that sort of stuff. So anyways, that's all I want to say about that. Jake, I cut well, you off there. Then we come no, we come to now uh, to Hebrews chapter 10, where we see um, the great high priest, the fulfillment of all high priests, articulated once again uh, by this author. Um, you know, uh, uh, and this is really where we uh, get into it. Uh, we, we see, you know, this really, I mean, articulates how Jesus comes and saves us. So he comes into the dark places of our lives, and then what he does he stands day after, every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. And that's the problem with the temple. Uh, but Christ, his sacrifice once and for all is a single sacrifice for sin. And uh, that has enabled him to, uh, it was so pleasing to God that God um, vindicated him by raising him from the dead and now places him at the right hand where he is placed all of his enemies, which is sin, death, and the devil, underneath his footstep, foots, footstool. Mm. And, uh, and basically, and you see this, this covenant that I will make with them, and after those days, says the Lord, I will put the law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. I mean, this is right, um, uh, right from, uh, uh, oh gosh, slipped my mind, the new covenant in Zechariah. And, uh, and uh, that, that covenant is placed right on their, on their hearts. And here's the good news, my friends. A lot of people are coming always to church with so many burdens. Mm. You know, the last thing people need in church is more things to do. Um, and uh, going back, you, dear listener, who maybe have just kind of enjoyed Lucky Charms and not wanting to come back at all, you know what I mean? I mean, we need this. We need to be reminded that God remembers our sins and our lawless deeds no more. Uh, where there are forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's why we don't need to do things for God, but rather it flips the it flips the lid on everything, and we now uh, do things for our neighbor. There's um, this show called The Morning Show on Apple TV about a morning talk show host, and it's a male and female team. And the man is fired because of some sexual impropriety. And the woman is faced with the collapse of her career, the co-host. And she talks about how she's given up everything for this career, the chance at a normal life, her family. And she's terrified that she'll lose it. And this, I think, is a really good example of how the world works, that nothing you do is ever good enough. You can't hold on to anything. You have to hustle every day to keep the attention, the prestige, the ladder you're climbing, whatever it is, because if you stop for a second, you'll fall off. And that is how everything works, except for Jesus. 
So the system of sacrifice where every single day you tried to offer the sacrifice for sin and it didn't work because as, as this writer says, it can never take away sins. And contrast that with Jesus, who the author says here, makes a single sacrifice for sins and then sits down because there's not, no more work to be done. Uh, my mom at Thanksgiving used to never sit down because she would just be or any family gathering, just hustling and bustling and moving around. And do you need water? And do you need more of this and that? And can I get you something? She never sat down. It always made me exhausted to watch her. And here, though, Jesus sits down because his work is done. It's done. It's done. And, and I yeah. love that. His, his work is done. I mean, complete, finished. Um, there is no more judgment. Uh, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin, mm. you know. And uh, and I love what he says right here at the end. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Mm. For he who, is promi- who has promised is faithful. Christ is faithful to you. You and I, just as that colleague said, we hold fast to it. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's all we're doing. We're just clinging to this because it's all we got. Um, and uh, it's kind of, you know, I mean, he's the one who's faithful. And then it goes on here, and it's really important to remember that Christianity is not, uh, and what we talk about, somebody once, you know, uh, came and told me, they were like, so are you against, like, uh, are you against um, uh, uh, good works? And no, I mean, he says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, um, not neglecting to meet together. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so we talked about, about that earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it's amazing. The spirit's in this place. Seriously. But anyway, but, you know, but what we're, we're, we're not against good deeds. But what we are against is that those deeds uh, get us any merit uh, before God in any way. No, no, our neighbor needs these. But, but Christ's merit and Christ's work for us once and for all is uh, is is all that we need before God. The victory has already been won, and we simply cling to that promise and uh, and uh, gather together in flesh to celebrate that promise. That's right. As uh, you as more see the day approaching. Amen. Well, and now we end with this sort of apocalyptic reading from Mark chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is coming out of the temple in Jerusalem. This is the end of Jesus's life. The end of the end is coming soon, and his disciples start having a conversation about the architecture of the temple. You can still see these stones; they're the size of a semi truck trailer, and they are the foundation, kind of the retaining wall that's all around the temple complex in Jerusalem. The temple isn't there anymore because Jesus says in this passage, it's all coming down. So they're kind of admiring, oh, look at the stones, large buildings, one of the wonders of the world. It was something to behold. I mean, you know, I mean, around it, Herod had it decorated with giant gold grapes because, you know, illustrating that it was a vineyard. I mean, it was in the ancient world, the temple in Israel was something that's the Herodian temple was something to behold. Yeah. And it was the center of their life. And really, this is, I mean, going back a little bit to Hebrews, uh, this conversation, I mean, this really, it dates the book of Hebrews. The, the way the author talks about sacrifice is as if the, the temple is still present. Mm-hmm. It would be like me talking about the twin towers, you know, as if they're present today. That makes no sense. People would think I'm crazy. But the temple was something exquisite, and it was at the center of Jewish life and worship. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the Judaism that we see today in many ways is completely different 
than what it was in Jesus's day, because, you know, uh, the, the altar moved around the dining room table and the high priest became the father in the home. But uh, this, uh, the religion of Judaism in Jesus's day was filled with smoke, dead animals, and a lot of grit. Mm. and a beautiful temple, and they are admiring it. And so uh, you've got to really, if you're going to preach on this short gospel text, you have to convey how important the temple was to these people. I mean, I think about uh, the ways maybe we have strong emotional attachments to certain buildings in our lives. Maybe it's the football stadium of the college you attended or something like that. And imagine these things just getting torn down, wiped off the face of the earth. Um and it would have been staggering for Jesus' disciples to, to conceive of that ever happening because it was such a yeah. mammoth structure and so important to them emotionally, religiously, culturally, in every way. Yeah. And so they can't— they can't. It's a testimony of God's presence. Yeah, exactly. And, and so Jesus says it's all going to be torn down, and they obviously can't really compute what this means. So it says when they're sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Now, what that means is they've left out the gates of the city of Jerusalem. They've walked down the Kidron Valley on this sort of winding steep road to the bottom of the valley, then back up the other side to this hill. And this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And you can look back across this valley. It's still there today. A ton of tombs there. It's where a lot of people are buried. And you look back across it and you would have been able to see this temple. Uh, you can still see the city of Jerusalem. Now you see the, the golden dome of the rock uh, there. And that's when Peter, James, and John, and Andrew come up to him and say, look, if this is really going to happen, this will be awful. You need to give us some warning. And so he, he talks about uh, the, the, the destruction of the temple and all that's going to happen. And, but he's also, in many biblical passages like this, sort of talking about layers. So part of his, what he's talking about is the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. He's also sort of talking about the end of all things. Um, he's stacking things on top of each other. The, what I would do if I was preaching on this passage it, uh, is that I would say that this passage demonstrates the tendency of human beings to put their security in things they can see and, um, and to always want to preserve the status quo. And what the disciples are terrified about is that the status quo might change and um, they don't want to let that go. But God, as we said last week, is not a backward looking God. God wants to move forward. And there's something here um, for the Christian. The reason we want to move forward away from the temple and away from just holding on to the way things were is because we have now in Jesus, the one who is the perfect sacrifice for sins, as we just read in the book of Hebrews. So we no longer need the temple. Um, so, uh, and actually yeah. more so, he in, in his death and resurrection, he becomes the chief cornerstone mm -hmm. by which uh, Peter, James, and John are uh, the foundation for the new, new living temple, uh, which is his church, by which his spirit is pleased to constantly dwell, uh, because by his sacrifice, as the author of Hebrews says, has put away all sins. But really, I mean, yeah, what they are doing is they're clinging on to the old. And uh, sometimes the old, not sometimes, always, the old needs to be not just removed, but completely destroyed in order to make way for new new and real life. Mm -hmm. So in the loss of this second temple, um, a real and more tangible and an eternal temple, something that's really beautiful and diverse now has emerged.
And you um, are stoned I, in the temple, as am I, as are our listeners. Yeah. I just, it just, I, it hit me. And so in talking about this, like, so I was, um, I've been dealing uh, in my congregation with a uh, young family uh, where um, the mother uh, uh, was diagnosed about six years ago with a very, very terrible cancer. And, uh, and she has died. And um, uh, the service was, was very beautiful and, uh, and all of those. But it was just one of those moments, uh, you know, especially because we're all so close in age that you feel like the cold breath of death mm. on your neck. And, uh, and you're reminded, man, that the, the gospel had better be true. Mm. But I was uh, talking to uh, her, the widow, and, uh, and uh, you know, and he, was, he, he told me, and this, I'll never forget this, um, but he said that this cancer was the best thing that ever happened to them. Mm. Uh, because it, uh, they both were going their own ways, their own careers. He was headed down a way of like, um, you know, insurance and like being the top of this game. And she was headed her way in the corporate world, the top of their game. And they were moving farther and farther and farther apart. And, uh, and he said that the cancer uh, forced them to stop. And uh, the cancer, uh, while it destroyed absolutely everything, it rekindled and resurrected that which was really important in their life, which was their marriage and this brief moment they had as a family with their children. Mm. And so really, I mean, at the end of the day, those things that we're clinging to, those temples that we think are so beautiful and will ultimately save us, um, as painful as it is, and believe me, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD was the most painful thing in the world. Uh, but um, it is in, in real loss, actually, and that's the good news of the gospel. And it's really easy to say right here, but you know, when you're going through it, it's, it's impossibly difficult. Uh, nobody wants to die. But um, things need to die for there to be new life, uh, resurrected life, something glorious. And really that, um, as you're going through it, the only thing we can do is hold fast, as the author of Hebrews says, to that confession of our hope without wavering. And so uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, um, as you face that dark chapter and those glorious temples that you just marvel at are taken away, uh, hold fast to the confession of our faith, because you've given a promise. You've been given a promise that can't be taken away. And deliver that from your pulpit this Sunday, dear listener. All right. Well, we'll see or uh, we'll see you. We'll talk to you again next week as we come to you for Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year. Uh, and if you haven't already, preachers, Check the church storage closet to make sure you've ordered enough candles for the candlelight service. Because and absolutely, time's running and can I say too? Yes, preachers, we, we should make a plug. Plug um, it. We're so we're coming to the end of the year, and many of you are wondering what can I do for my children's program. And uh, let me tell you, uh, Story Makers NYC has an amazing Advent program, and they have two routes you can go. They have uh, an Advent uh, one uh, group of zines that uh, tackles some of the Advent readings uh, that are associated uh, with Advent from the Bible. And then they have a, um, a series of Advent stories from around the world, uh, which will engage your children with um, the hope of the gospel as it's expressed throughout the world. And so uh, and uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't have any uh, Sunday school curriculum for Advent, check it out this week. 
StoryMakersNYC.com. Full disclosure, Jake is married to the executive director, and I'm on the board, <laughs> but only because we really believe in this ministry. Uh, it is it's it's, the best. It's, it's so good. I mean, if I didn't know Melina, I would do this ministry. It is so, it is so good. Yep. And so that's all we're going to say, just a little plug. No conflict of interest at all. So anyway, because we're all part of Mockingbird. So, but till then, we'll see you next week. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.